Welcome back, Hemingway faces, to the Hemingway List podcast. It's a podcast where we do things excellently. We're talking about of human bondage. Also, um, a little follow-up on on the voting. I've had a few comments about the voting, and I was thinking about the voting too. Um, so, um, yeah, I spoke about adding... Um, what are we doing? War and Peace and lining it up with a year of War and Peace uh, and suggested that filling in a couple of weeks by doing some Shakespeare sonnets swims to the moment for she said rather than Shakespeare sonnets I suggest some selections from the Oxford Book of English Verse it is on the list so it would be on topic that is true it is on the list I still don't feel like Shakespeare wouldn't be far off the list you know a couple of his sonnets um, if you go ahead with the sonnets, I further <coughs> suggest that you pick the greatest hits rather than go numerically. <coughs> Here are the top 25 of the sonnets. If you go numerically, be aware that the first 17 are called the procreation poems. From a modern perspective, these sonnets are annoying to some people. I know this because we are reading the sonnets numerically over at r slash Rory Gilmore Book Club. And the perspective given in the first 17 was like being nagged to death. Yeah, I know, the first 17, where he's trying to tell his friend, one guy to another, that, hey, you should make some babies. And he basically just tells him, like, if you don't make babies, you're wasting your beauty. You're too obsessed with yourself. Have a baby. It goes on and on and on like that for 17 sonnets. So you are kind of right about that. Um, but I did have someone made a comment. I can't find the comment now, but um, saying that, They'd just done, oh, excuse me, I'm yawning. Uh, they'd just done War and Peace, and they didn't want to do it again. And so it made me wonder, like, oh, I don't know, like, maybe we shouldn't do it. Because it is a whole year, and if there's people that don't want to do it, it's, I mean, we've got to dedicate a whole year to a book that some people don't want to do. Or maybe they've already done it as part of the Heming, uh, as part of a year of War and Peace. I can see that. Um, okay. Anyway, we'll keep voting. We'll see what happens. But don't. I. I just wanted to say, don't vote. Don't choose War and Peace just because I wanted to do War and Peace. Um, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to influence the voting too much. Vote for the book you want. All right. Because I'm the only really person here with the podcast with the voice. So I didn't want to sort of use that influence to steer the vote one way or another. You know, I, uh, so I, I won't vote. I didn't vote, um, you know, officially. I'll leave it up to you guys. Swim said the moment fishy said, okay, let's talk about the actual chapter here. Well, the discussion prompt was, what did Mildred have, do you think? Uh, Swim said the moment fishy said, from what I've read, it was sy- sy- syphilis. Syphilis is a sexually transmitted infection caused by a bacterium called Prepanoma pallidum. There are four stages of syphilis, primary, second, latent, and tertiary. In each stage, the signs and symptoms of syphilis are different. Here we go. We're going to talk about the symptoms of syphilis in tonight's episode. Okay, here we are. This is where we've been brought. Uh, In the primary stage, a person usually just has a wound on their skin called a chancer. Can't chant chanker chanker chancer. I don't know how to say that. C H A N C R E. 
excuse me. <coughs> oh, I'm losing my voice. Perfect timing. Uh, in the secondary stage, a person usually gets a rash. In the latent stage, syphilis has few or no symptoms. Um, but if syphilis reaches the tertiary stage, which is the most severe, it causes many serious symptoms. These can include problems with the nervous system, the brain and nerves, and problems with the heart. heart. Eventually, many people with tertiary syphilis will die if they do not get medical treatment. I've given myself the hiccups by coughing to try to clear a frog out of my throat. So now I've got a frog in my throat and I've got the hiccups, so that's annoying. Fun fact, they changed the disease to tuberculosis in the 1934 film as syphilis was considered too salacious. I'll be right back. I'm back. This episode is brought to you by apple cider vinegar, which I just drank to try to get rid of my hiccups, but it didn't work. Does anyone else get hiccups when they clear their throat? Is that a thing? I am Norwegian said, I love your idea of war and peace. And uh, we're just about to finish my first run through, but I have been considering just jumping right back in at the beginning. I feel like I'll get more out of it the second time. It's a very good book. I would. I think it is the kind of book you can read more more than once. I'm just going to keep going with these hiccups because, like, I just want to. I want to go to bed, basically. So, sorry <clears throat> if this episode is full of me hiccuping and coughing and trying to clear my throat. Um, I don't really know what else to do about it. I can't really pause the podcast or or restart it or anything. I can, but, you know, it's just going to make it take even longer. So, let's just read the chapter. Oh, it's a nice long one, too, just to be extra annoying. Chapter 110, Christmas that year. Falling on Thursday, the shop was to close for four days. Philip wrote to his uncle, asking whether it would be convenient for him to spend the holidays in the vicarage. He received an answer from Mrs. Foster saying that Mr. Carey was not well enough to write himself, but he wished to see his nephew and would be glad if he came down. She met Philip at the door, and when she shook hands with him, said, You'll find him changed since you were last here, sir, but you'll pretend you don't notice anything, won't you, sir? He's that nervous about himself. Philip nodded, and she led him into the dining room. Here's Mr. Philip, sir. The vicar of Blackstable was a dying man. There was no mistaking that when you looked at the hollow cheeks and the shrunken body. He sat huddled in the armchair with his head strangely thrown back and a shawl over his shoulders. He could not walk now without the help of sticks, and his hands trembled so that he could only feed himself with difficulty. He can't last long now, thought Philip as the vicar, as he looked at him. 
How do you think I'm looking? asked the vicar. Do you think I've changed since you were here last? I think you look stronger than you did last summer. It was the heat that always upsets me. Mr. Carey's history over the last few months consisted in the number of weeks he had spent in his bedroom at the number of weeks he had spent downstairs. He had a handbell by his side. And while he talked, he rang it for Mrs. Foster, who sat in the next room room ready to attend <clears throat> to his wants to ask on what day of the month he <coughs> had first left his room on the 7th of november sir mr carey looked at philip to see how he took the information but i <coughs> eat well still don't i mr F- mrs foster yes sir you've got a wonderful appetite i don't seem to put on any flesh though nothing interests him now but his health he was set upon one thing indomitably and that was living just living notwithstanding the monotony of his life and the constant pain which a <coughs> allowed him to sleep only when he was under the influence of morphia. It's terrible the amount of money I have to spend on doctor's bills. He tinkled his bell again. Mrs. Foster, show Master Philip the chemist's bill. Patiently, she took it off the chimney piece and handed it to Philip. That's only one month. I was wondering if you, as you're doctoring yourself, you couldn't get me the drugs cheaper. I thought of getting them down from the stores, but then there's the postage. Though apparently taking so little interest in him that he did not trouble to inquire what Phil was doing, he seemed glad to have him there. He asked how long he would stay, and when Philip told him he must leave on Tuesday morning, he expressed a wish that the visit might have been longer. He told him minutely all his symptoms and repeated what the doctor had said of him. He broke off to ring his bell, and when Mrs. Foster came in, said, Oh, I wasn't sure if you were there. I only rang to see if you were. When she had gone, he explained to Philip that it made him uneasy if he was not certain that Mrs. Mrs. Foster was within earshot. She knew exactly what to do with him if anything happened. Philip, seeing that she was tired and that her eyes were heavy from want of sleep, suggested that he was working her too hard. Oh, nonsense, said the vicar. She's as strong as a horse. And when next she came in to give him his medicine, he said to her, Master Philip... Says you've got too much to do, Mrs. Foster. You like looking after me, don't you? Oh, I don't mind, sir. I want to do everything I can. Presently, the medicine took effect and Mr. Carey fell asleep. Philip went into the kitchen and asked Mrs. Foster whether she could stand the work. He saw that for some months she had little had little peace. Well, sir, what can I do, she answered. The poor old gentleman's so dependent on me that... Oh, and although he isn't troublesome sometimes you can't help liking him can you i've been here so many years now i don't know what i shall do when he comes to go philip saw that she really was fond of the old man she washed and dressed him gave him food and was up half a dozen times in the night for she slept in the next room to his and whenever he awoke he tinkled his little bell and came in she came in he might die at any moment but he might live for months It was wonderful that she should look after a stranger with such patient tenderness, and it was tragic and pitiful that she should be alone in the world to care for him. It seemed to Philip that the religion which his uncle had preached all his life was now of no more than formal importance to him. Every Sunday the curate came and administered to him Holy Communion, and and he often read his Bible, but it was clear that he looked upon death with horror. He believed that it was the gateway to life everlasting, but he did not want to enter upon that life. In constant pain, chained to his chair, and giving, having given up the hope 
of ever getting out into the open. Again, like a child in the hands of a woman to whom he paid wages, he clung to the world he knew. In Philip's head was a question he could not ask, but he was aware that his uncle would never give any but a conventional answer. He wondered whether at the very end, now that the machine had painfully worn itself out, the clergyman still believed in immortality, perhaps at the bottom of his soul, not allowed to shape itself into words in case it became urgent. He was was the conviction that there was no God, and after this life, nothing. On the evening of Boxing Day, Philip sat in the dining room with his uncle. He had to start very early next morning in order to get to the shop by nine, and he was to say goodnight to Mr. Carey then. The vicar of Black Sable was dozing, and Philip, lying on the sofa by the window, let his book fall on his knees and looked idly around the room. He asked himself how much the furniture would fetch. He had walked round the house and looked at the things he had known from his childhood. There were a few pieces of china which might go for a decent price and Philip wondered if it would be worthwhile to take them up to London. But the furniture was of the Victorian order, of mahogany, solid and ugly. It would go for nothing at auction. There were three or four thousand books, but everyone knew how badly they sold and it was not probable that they would fetch more than a hundred pounds. Philip did not know how much his uncle would leave and he re- reckoned out of for the hundredth time that was the least sum upon which he would finish this curriculum at the hospital, take his degree, and live during the time he wished to spend on hospital appointments. He looked at the old man, sleeping restlessly. There was no humanity left in that shriveled face. It was the face of some queer animal. Philip thought how easy it would be to finish that useless life. He thought it each evening when Mrs. Foster prepared for his uncle the medicine which was to be given to him to give him an easy night. There were two bottles, one contained a drug which looked which he took regularly, and the other an opiate if the pain grew unendurable. This was poured out for him and left by his bedside. He generally took it at three or four in the morning. It would be a simple thing to double the dose. He would die in the night, and no one would, would suspect anything, for that was how Dr. Wigram expected him to die. The end would be painless. Philip clenched his hands as he thought of the money he wanted so badly. A few more months of that wretched life could matter nothing to the old man, but the few more months meant everything to him. He was getting to the end of his endurance, and when he thought of going back to work in the morning, he shuddered with horror. His heart beat quickly at the thought which obsessed him, and and though he made an effort to put it out of his mind, he could not. It would be so easy, so desperately easy. He had no feeling for the old man. He had never liked him. He had been selfish all his life, selfish to his wife who adored him, indifferent to the boy who had put, been put in his charge. He was not a cruel man, but a stupid, stupid hard man eaten up in the small sensuality. It would be easy, desperately easy. Philip did not dare. He was afraid of remorse. It would be no good having the money if he regretted all his life what he had done. Though he had told himself so often that regret was futile, there were certain things that came back to him occasionally and worried him. He wished they were not on his conscience. His uncle opened his eyes. Philip was glad, for he looked a little more human then. He was frankly horrified at the idea that had come to him. It was murder that he was meditating, and he wondered if other people had such thoughts or whether he was abnormal and depraved. He supposed he would... He could not have done it when it came to the point. But there the thought was constantly recurring. 
If he held his hand, it was from fear. His uncle spoke. You're not looking forward to my death, Philip. Philip felt his heart beat against his chest. Good, he good heavens, no. That's a good boy. I shouldn't like you to do that. You'll get a little bit of money when I pass away, but you mustn't look forward to it. I, I wouldn't profit you if you did. He spoke in a low voice, and there was a curious anxiety in his tone. I, it sent a pang, a pang into Philip's heart. He wondered what strange insight might have led the old man to surmise what strange desires were in Philip's mind. I hope you'll live for another twenty years, he said. Oh, well, I can't expect to do that, but if I take care of myself, I don't see why, why I shouldn't last another three or four. He was silent for a while, and Philip found nothing to say. Then, as if he had been thinking it all, all over, the old man spoke again. Everyone was, has the right to live as long as he can. Philip wanted to, to distract his mind. By the way, I suppose you never hear from Miss Wilkinson now. Yes, I had a letter some time this year. She's married, married, you know. Really? Yes, she married a widower. I believe they're quite, they are quite comfortable. All right, there you go. There's another chapter for you. Oh, I hate my life right now. That was painful. I apologize for probably the worst podcast to date. <laughs> but uh, what are you going to do when you've just got the most annoying yep. hiccups in the world? Um, sorry about that. I'm, I am sorry. That's terrible podcasting. But yep. hey, I've got to get to bed. And um, I, I don't know what to tell you. All right. Have your say about the chapter at the subreddit. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.